Tyranny, tyranny everywhere. I was just listening to a song by Steppenwolf called The Ostrich. And it talks about how people in the world just stick their heads in the sand while, while evil uh, flourishes, okay? That's called Judeo-Christianity, folks. Well, welcome to Eurofolk Radio. Today is June 19, 2022. And today's subject matter is going to be the fig tree, the evil figs versus the good figs uh, way back in Jeremiah. And also the the evil fig tree that Jesus cursed in Matthew chapter 21. We're going to analyze that, this whole story uh, quite thoroughly, okay? And of course, my usual uh, co-conspirator, uh, co <laughs> you know, Michael Swede from Sweden. How are you doing this morning, Michael? I'm doing very good, and thank you for the introduction. And this will be a very intriguing uh, subject regarding to the fig tree, because I think um, it is some misconceptions among in the maybe in the in our ranks also who are the the bad figs and who are not, and so we yes. to make the correct interpretation of it. Because what I understand, yeah, um, what I understand from your point also is that uh, the what do you say the the bi the British uh, the British uh, Israel, um, yeah. Israel people they they have a, another interpretation of this that's, that maybe is not correct. Yeah, right, yeah, because uh, a lot of British Israel teaching, since it's not two seed line and does not acknowledge the race issue, although it does to some extent, not as much as uh, two seed line or Christian identity in America, uh, all Christian identities recognize there's a, a racial difference between Israelites and non-Israelites, and the British Israelites don't want to acknowledge that the Jews aren't Judah. <laughs> they don't want to go that far. But before we get started, let me just quickly uh, point people in the direction of the book, The Great Impersonation. It's available on Amazon Kindle, and we're going to be talking uh, about Chapter 10 today. So if you want to get a copy of The Great Impersonation, just go to Amazon Kindle and type in the title of the book, The Great Impersonation, comma, by Eli James, and that book will come right up. Now, interestingly, uh, Michael, uh, but first, but before I forget, I just want to tell everybody, the next two weekends in a row, there will be no live programming on on Eurofolk Radio, because I'm going to be going to Texas for a rally that one weekend, and then I'll be going to Philadelphia for Freedom Palooza the following weekend. A lot of driving involved, 13 hours one way to Texas, 16 hours one way to Philadelphia. So I just won't have time to do any live shows, although I might break into the programming to do a live show from either one, you know, it would have to be uh, random without a set time because uh, the times are going to be difficult to arrange. Anyway, so getting back to the great impersonation, uh, it's interesting here. It turns out there's another book by the same title, The Great Impersonation by uh, E. Phillips Oppenheim, published in 1920. Now, get, get here, here's the plot. Okay, German Leopold von Ragerstein, oh, I love that name, Ragerstein, meets his doppelganger. What's a doppelganger? Well, what's a, what's a doppelganger in Swedish, Michael? Double, I don't, I don't even know the word. That's kind of okay. a new, that's a, I have not heard the word really before. A doppelganger is German, 
and it means somebody who has taken your place. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? And oh, okay. All right. Okay. okay. Your body, your body double. But okay. actually, Not but yeah, but actually has a connotation of being your enemy too. Okay. Uh, Englishman. So, so a German Leopold von Ragerstein meets his doppelganger, Englishman Everard Domine in Africa and plans to murder him and steal his identity <laughs> to spy on English high society just prior to World War I. Stolen identity? Who would do such a thing, Michael? <laughs> I love it. Oh. <laughs> okay. The usual suspects. Yeah. The, so this uh, uh the same title, but by this uh, German guy, and uh, or the plot. I'm not sure who the author is, uh, Oppenheim, uh, but the uh, similar plot, right? Stolen identity, impersonation, uh, putting down people who are uh, the real deal and being uh, replaced by fakes, right? The fake Jews, okay? So very good stuff there, folks. Anyway, that's how you can get to The Great Impersonation on Amazon Kindle. And I just talked with... Uh, uh, the, my publisher, uh, David Gahari in Florida, because there has been a paper shortage as a result of the lockdown. Uh, we have paper again, so I'm going to be ordering another batch of print, uh, printed copies. I'm down to five copies that I have. And that's why I haven't been promoting the book, because I don't have enough books to to deliver, okay? So hopefully that'll change in the near future. But the the cost of everything has go, been going up so drastically. Uh, I might have, it's been $40 for the last 20 years. I may have to raise the price, you know, to maybe 45 or even 50 depending on, you know, the, the way prices uh, uh, have been going up. It's crazy. And I assume, Michael, you've been having price rises and shortages in Sweden as well? Yeah, it's the same. It's the same here too. The the rises on on basic essentials is, uh, but this all is man made. This of is course. I heard among uh, weren't there a lot of cattle in Kentucky that has been been slaughtered for I don't know the reasons really is probably just because they want to create a big food crisis sure. and. Um, in Sweden, matter of fact, I think Sweden is only self sufficient to a degree of. 30 percent it could oh. be lower so it's very we are unfortunately very dependent upon other nations so this is um yeah yes. that's very depressing to hear because i think you in america are more or less dependent upon you you are you are independent i would say right. instead yeah. of most of the stuff yeah absolutely absolutely well I'm, I'm not sure about kentucky but i know in kansas thousands of cattle have been dropping dead because of the heat wave and uh, there just isn't enough water out there to to uh, feed all these cattle. And it's going to be worse this week. It, this was only upper 90s last week when the, these cattle died from heat heat stroke. Uh, it's supposed to be over 100 degrees three days in a row uh, next week. So it's going to get worse, folks. Uh, uh, I have a feeling HARP has something to do with this because they want to destroy our food supply, just as you said. Okay. And, and by the way, Bill Gates has been buying up farmland in Michigan and other other states, and so are other BlackRock and I forget the other a company controlled by the Rothschilds, investment companies. They've been buying up farmland. What do you think they're going to do with this farmland, folks? They're not going to grow anything. 
causing the price of food to go up. Even China is buying up farmland in America. Can you believe it? Right? Yeah, it will be, uh, as you said, they will either not um, do any any farming on it or they will just don't sell it to you if you don't have an, uh, uh, comply with their their way of um, their way of comedy and all other made up believing, uh, I don't know, gibberish. Oh, yeah. And uh, Brother Abear says it may also be uh, sp- uh, spraying, spraying, uh, you know, the, the cattle are eating grass that's been poisoned with all kinds of chemicals and uh, the, what do you call it? not just the, the chemicals, but the chemtrails raining down on America. Yeah, hardly a day goes by where you look up in the sky and you see chemtrails being left by various planes, right? And uh, etc. So it's a really difficult situation because they are definitely trying to kill us with, by every means possible. And of course, the jab is just one means, but the jab isn't working out that well. It's not killing enough people fast enough. So they're going to miss their deadline. Uh, the CEO of Pfizer uh, at the World Economic Forum, and this was several years ago, I think it was in 2019, well, before the, uh, what was that conference uh, sponsored by Bill Gates and the World Economic Forum? Uh, in 2019, I forget the name of it, but anyway, before that big conference where they basically announced that they're going to uh, use drugs to knock off 6 billion people, <laughs> right, as part of the eugenics program of the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, etc., that uh, by the, the Pfizer executive stated by 2023, we should have completed, we should have murdered about 3 million people, 3 billion people. That's what he stated. Three billion people, okay? But they're not no, nowhere close to that because the uh, shots aren't working well enough. And too many people are rejecting them. All right. So, but it's sad that all these people uh, have, have fallen for this ploy. The murder by injection, Eustace Mullins, uh, that's a book we should actually get into when we have a chance, Michael. Murder by injection by Eustace Mullins. It was written like in the 70s. I mean, predicting all of this stuff in the 1970s. So let's get into it. Uh, uh, we're going to do first a, uh, a kind of, um, uh, well, a, a Judeo-Christian perspective, a short article about how and uh, the meaning of the fig trees and the cursing of the fig trees from a Judeo perspective. It's always, it's always a, a good uh, comparison to see how a Judeo minister would approach the subject as we would, as opposed to how we would. Okay, so uh, this article, I'll put it in the chat room real quick. The fig tree present from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, it's a fairly comprehensive, but a brief, uh, a brief article. So go for it, Michael. Thank you very much. So. Uh, the fig tree uh, present from Genesis to Revelations. In the Holy Scriptures, there are 44 verses that mention the fig tree. Some believe it was the tree of knowledge of good and evil from which Eve picked the forbidden fruit. It certainly is rich in symbolism and Jesus referred to the fig tree several times in his public life. Even today, Israel is full of these trees and their blossoming may be a messianic sign. Well, 
not from not for for the for the the one that lives there today though right right it is for their coming yeah. coming judgment but um yes and then and then also this with eve and the the fruit and everything that is not in the bible but they are right yeah they are taking that one up yeah well, well there's certainly uh one aspect of the fig tree that is appropriate symbolism as the fertility the number of seeds inside of every fig is uh I don't know, has to be hundreds <laughs> the the figs are just loaded with seeds and uh you know, fig trees one fig tree probably can come up with billions of seeds you know so uh but no, let's continue let's see what he has to say in the whole book there is one fruit that is present above all other the fig tree there are 44 verses that mention it in the garden of eden uh, the fig tree considered by some to be the tree of knowledge of good and evil was one of the important trees that the lord planted after the tree of life he ordered adam and eve not to eat the fruit of the forbidden tree to avoid death and they disobeyed him yet what is um, m Blematic for many historians when they uh, speak of original sin and expulsion from Eden is that the mysterious fruit that Eve picked at the um, invitations of the serpent and then offered to Adam was a fig tree. Okay, you think so? You think so, Michael? No, (laughs) I don't. Yeah, actually, fig trees are probably uh, fig. The fig fruit is probably the healthiest you can eat. Right? It's it's rather sweet. But uh, yeah, that's good stuff. It's definitely good to eat. It's not evil to eat. But yeah, they, they got this all wrong because we know that the original sin was sexual, not, uh, what's the word? Uh, culinary. <laughs> it was sexual, not culinary. Back to you. Yeah, otherwise uh, Yahweh wouldn't curse Eve's womb afterward. That's right. That's right. And uh, the and it's not, the tree of life is our DNA, the DNA of, of Adam kind. That's what the tree of life is. Uh, so, you know, the, the it, it's some good symbolism here, but we'll get, uh, it'll get better as we go on. Back to you. Yeah. Uh, okay. The proof. When their eyes were open, our ancestor covered themselves with fig leaves. And that is Genesis 3, 7. This suggests that they had used the leaves of the tree from which they had picked the fruit. But the mystery continues, just as the identifications of that actual location of the Garden of Eden also remains a mystery. Okay, so uh, I think the fig tree was used because of the size of the leaves, <laughs> which are very large, sufficient to cover the sinful area. All right, back to you. If, uh, mm-hmm. for their, if it were their mouths, it would uh, all, all they need is a face mask. Nah. <laughs> all right. The American archaeologist Eubris uh, Sarnis, professor at the University of Missouri, specialized in Middle Eastern studies. Think he has identified the location of Eden, which would be situated in the plain crossed by the uh, Shat al-Arab River, more precisely in the region of southern Mesopotamia. It would be uh, buried under tens of cubic meters of sediment. Uh, two of the rivers mentioned in Genesis, uh, the Tigris and the Euphrates, flow into the Shat al-Arab today. Also considering the fact that the Persian Gulf, which was completely dry during the last gla- glaciation, 
was flooded by the sea about 5,000 to 6,000 years before Christ. It is uh, possible that Eden is now at the bottom of the sea. Yuri Sarnes, in his theory, also identifies the other uh, two rivers mentioned in Genesis, uh, the Pison and the Gion. Okay, uh, let, me it, just, let me just interject here because uh, the riverbeds of the Pison and Gion have been identified in the desert, in the Arabian desert. One cuts across the Arabian desert. And as I recall, it flows towards the area that Mr. Zarans is talking about. And the other one is east of the Tigris and Euphrates, coming from the mountains of what you would call Iran today, or possibly even India. Okay, So it's, this may be a correct theory of the location of Eden. It's either at the start of the, the top of Mesopotamia, Okay, or at the bottom, it could be either way, depending on the translation. There's scholars are still debating whether we're talking about the bottom of uh, Mesopotamia or the top. All right, okay, back to you. And can can this flooding that they are referring to be the great flood that they are referring to? Uh, no doubt, no doubt. That would have de uh, destroyed pretty much everything, <laughs> you know, in the Middle East uh, for a time, anyway. Okay. Yeah. Okay, let's continue. But let's return to the subject of the fig tree. It was a tree commonly found in the land of Israel and was uh, appreciated from uh, the earliest time by all ancient peoples. The Egyptians, Assyrians and Greeks considered figs an important source of nourishment, both fresh and uh, uh, dry, dried. 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 Uh, dried, ah. Dry fruit, yep. The latter being a form that solved the feeding problems of many nomadic uh, peoples and or travelers. And a bracket. First Samuel twenty five eighteen thirty twelve Judith ten five and bracket. And in those arid lands, the fig tree not only bore fruit but also uh, provided shade in the oasis and marked the. Um, changing of the seasons quote for behold the winter is past the time of rains is ended and it is gone the flower springs up on the earth the time of uh, singing is come and the voice of the uh, uh, turtle, dove. Turtle, turtle dove is heard in our land the fig tree has set its fruits the flowering vines exude this uh, perfume. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come, end quote. Spring is here! But, <laughs> All right. Yeah, and this is from the Song of Solomons 2, 11 yes. to 13. Very good. The fig tree was a tree which rich symbolism, first and foremost, fertility and uh, food density. Oh, no, fecund but, fecundity, which is basically fecundity. the same word as fertility, the same, uh -huh. same meaning. Okay. But it was also a medical source, and that is Second Kings 21 until 7. Uh, King Hezekiah, afflicted with uh, ulcers, was treated Ul with ulcers. a fig. Yeah, he was, uh, yeah, that's one of those English words where the C, yeah, it should be pronounced like a K, but it isn't. <laughs> All right, there you go. Please continue. And with a fig, 
pollutions and fig, yield. A fig poultice, which you, know, you oh. make, uh, you glop a bunch of fig together, uh, wrap it in a rag, and then put it on the sore area. A fig poultice. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. That's a common, uh, that used to be most common way uh, for our people to treat, you know, sores on their skin and stuff and use them for other purposes as well. But with the advent of big pharma, our people don't do this anymore. We should. We should get back to the old ways. Back to you. Yeah, because they work and there are no side effects. That's right. Except health. Except health, yeah, but that's the big pharma and the Jewish law doesn't want. Right. They want to keep us sick. Uh, a plant of the promised land in the prophetic book, the fig tree is a symbol of peace. Uh, Misha 4.4. Uh, prosperity, Joel 2.22. And the uh, faithfulness of the people in their covenant with God, Haggai 2.19. John one. Uh, 48 and 49, Zechariah 3.10. Okay, I didn't realize that. That's a good point. Faithfulness of the people. The fig represents that. Okay. The prophet Jeremiah also uses the symbols of figs to show the difference between deliverance and condemnations, between good and evil. One basket contains good fruits, symbolizes the people first deported and then delivered by God while the other is full of bad figs, similar to the condemnations of the king of Judah, Zedekiah. Uh, okay, and so, he's... yeah, uh, so he actually references the subject matter that we're going to address here, because Zedekiah uh, was actually one of the bad figs, all right? Uh, so we're going to get into that. So, yeah, very good, uh, the symbolizing the people first deported from uh, from Jerusalem, to Babylon, okay? That's the deportation he's talking about. All right, back to you. And this is from Jeremiah 24, 1 until 10, and 29, 17 until 18. Um, But the symbols does not stop there. Jesus himself uses the fig tree as an example to impart his uh, thoughts on self-giving and man's relationship with God. In Matthew 21, 17 on 22, and Mark 11, 12 on 24. We see Jesus cursing uh, and withering a fig tree because it is rich in green leaves but lacks fruit. Okay, well, this could be symbolize a lot since uh, uh, our people today lack fertility. Why do we lack fertility? Because we're being irradiated <laughs> by all kinds of... Uh, not, we haven't even really started with 5G yet, folks. But one of the consequences of radiation poisoning is infertility, right? Infertility, and this could be a prophetic uh, cursing uh, that uh, Yahshua is doing way back in, what, uh, Matthew 21 and Mark 11. Uh, did you have a, uh, a quotation ready for us, Michael, or... You want to do that later? From uh, Matthew 21. Yeah. Yes, I do. I have okay. it ready here. So okay. let's read um, Matthew 21, 18 until 22. And this is from the scriptures. Um, and returning to the city early the morning, in the morning, he became hungry. And seeing a single fig tree by the way, he came to it and found north on it but leaves and said to it, 
Let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the fig tree withered. Ooh. And the thought one seeing it marveled saying, How did the fig tree wither so soon? <laughs> and Yahshua an- answering said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have belief and do not doubt, you shall not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be removed, be thrown into the sea, it shall be done. And whatever you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Okay, we better start praying, folks. We want to take that mountain called Mystery Babylon (laughs) and flush it down the toilet. That's what we need to do, folks. So, okay, very interesting here that this uh, he was unhungered and saw this fig tree and had no fruit. So typically in identity, and even to some extent in British Israel, they identify this evil fig tree with the Jews. Okay? And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that interpretation. However... It might also include Judahites who allied themselves with the Pharisees in the days of Christ and who are doing so also today in these end times. Okay? Uh, that makes sense to you, Michael? Um, yes, because we have a lot of, I mean, we have a lot of Caucasian people that are, what do you say, quote unquote, getting rich by cooperating with, uh, with the Jewish bankers, with their agenda to go but, along with their... Or because all this wouldn't be possible without of us, the one of us, the one of our people that do help them. If they wouldn't cooperate, this would never happen. That's correct. There could also be GMO figs on the market. Who knows how many plants they have spoiled with genetic modification, right? This is part of the pollution of our food supply. So, uh, and who knows what it does to our bodies, right? It's usually no good. For so you know, I, I long for the days when we have oranges with seeds. Okay, uh, there are some they haven't genetically modified lemons yet. Our lemons still have seeds, but oranges, navel oranges. I don't know what the, your supply of oranges is in Sweden, but just about all oranges on the market are navel oranges and lack seeds. Okay, yeah, so I don't know what, what do you uh, what's the markets like in Sweden. Yeah, I'm thinking about the orange, but it was a long time ago by eight orange. But I, we have orange with, with seed in them, so we are not so okay. um, what That's say, good. infested with GMO right. stuff. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and Europe, the people of Europe have rejected GMO by and large. And several countries, uh, of the, even of the European Union, simply reject GMO. Monsanto, I think, was even targeted uh, in Europe. So, uh, but Man- Monsanto doesn't exist anymore. They sold out to Bear, which is an even bigger, you know, genetic, genetic modification company. So, yeah, this could be many things here. And uh, as a prophecy, and it definitely is a prophecy, that uh, the evil fig tree will be cursed. And so it definitely includes, in my opinion, all the, all the Israelites who should know better who actually are part of the system, the Church of Laodicea, put it that way. The lukewarm church and the people who have allied themselves with Big Pharma, the international banking system, the United Nations, etc. As you just said, Michael, these people, even though they're Israelites, 
They are not on our side. They're on the wrong side. Okay? Back to you. And one thought I had about this, also this, um, this uh, that Jesus Christ saying is, could it also be a reference to, you have a tree, but it have no fruits. So it right. have no good actions. So it could yeah. also be if it, if we lack because we should have good fruits, and that is our our actions, that is our deed. Oh, that absolutely. is the thing we can we can take with us. Yeah, yeah, and of course uh, they're they're trying to sterilize us as well. A lot of this radiation does cause sterility. Uh, the the instructions on your cell phone tell you not to keep it close to your body. Okay. So I see all these women running around, and men too to some extent, with their cell phones stuck in their back pockets, irradiating their ovaries, right? They're irradiating their ovaries, sterilizing themselves, and they don't even realize it, all right? Well, maybe they have one good ovary left, right? But it's too close to the uterus as well, so they're irradiating their uterus with their cell phones, by the way, Michael, did you know that Joe Biden had another son besides uh, the, the one who made those videos having sex with uh, various women? Okay, uh-huh. Hunter. Hunter. Okay. He had another son uh, by the name of Bo, B-E-A-U, Bo Biden. He died of cancer, brain cancer. Can you guess what caused that brain cancer? Cell phone use? There you go. He had his cell phone up the left side of his head by his left ear, and that's exactly where he got the cancer that he died from. That's a warning, folks. Don't be using your cell phone up against your ear. It, when you answer it, just put it on, you know, turn the speaker on and put it you know, at least a foot or two away from you. You can still converse with no problem. All right, back to you. Yeah, we're just using headsets or something else. You don't yeah. need to have the phone against your. Right. You, you yeah. can. I, I would say headsets. Yeah, you you would wear a wired headset because the Bluetooth has radiation too. Okay. Yes. All you right. You should have the wire with wires yeah. attached to it, not yeah. not Bluetooth. Exactly. And then if you don't want people to overhear what you're saying, <laughs> yeah, then use a wired headset. But if uh, otherwise, just turn the speaker on and converse that way. All right. These things become more and more important because they are trying to give us cancer and they are trying to sterilize us. Absolutely no doubt. All right. Okay. What was the other verse uh, in the article here? Mark something or other. Maybe. Uh, yes. Let's see. It was Mark eleven twelve and 24. Okay. Let's read One, that. Well, yes, I will go there. Because the different... but there is also, there is also plants you can have in your home that is handling this kind of radiation that can take care of the radiations. Okay. So, like for example, uh, cactus is one of those plants that you can place in your home that will also take care of the radiation. So there really? are plants that does that. And uh, uh, I got well, what was the name of the other plants? I have one to my yeah. right a fi- side. A fig tree, <laughs> a fig tree. There's, um, there's. I mean, I think there's smaller versions of the fig trees that you can actually keep inside your home. Yeah, but a cactus, very interesting. Okay. Yeah, and aloe vera is also something you can use. Aloe vera. That is also. 
Yeah, aloe vera. That okay. is also one uh, one plant that is that's the one I have to my side on my table. That is okay. also said to be good to um, yeah to get rid of of EMF radiation. Right. Well, I recently bought an EF, EMF meter, and uh, it's horrible uh, how much radiation my computer puts out. Not just my modem and router. That's bad enough. But I've, I put the meter by my computer, and it's radiating horribly. So I've got I've got to get some of that cloth material. I've got the cloth over my modem already, and it reduces the radiation about ninety five percent. But I need to have a, a larger cloth to wrap around my computer because my computer is radiating horribly. I just uh, before I did this started this process. I assumed it was the radiation was coming mainly from the router. No, your computer radiates just as much as your router, folks. All right, they're killing us with our computers. All right, back to you. Yes. Okay. So let's let's go into Mark also then. Yes. Uh, this Mark eleven. Let's see. Is this only he? What was the reference they had? Do twelve. Had a reference. Mark eleven twelve. Twelve on twenty four. <clears throat> okay. Okay. Now we read on. So, 11, 12, on to 24 then. And on the next day, when they had come out from uh, uh, Beth uh, Anya, uh, he was hungry. And seeing at a distance a fig tree having leaves, he went to see whether he would find any fruit on it. And when he came to it, he found none but ah. leaves, for it okay. was not the season for figs. And Yeshua responding said to it, Let no one eat fruit uh, from you ever again. And his tough ones once heard it. Okay, so he's cursing the fig tree. And uh, as we discussed briefly earlier, this could either mean the Jews living among the Israelites of Judea, or it could be a reference to those Judahites who... uh, Lacking faith and lacking the ability to propagate faithful Israelites, faithful Judahites into the future, they're no good. Also, and it just occurred to me also, this could also be a reference to the fact that the bloodline of Perez and Zerah would come uh, come to an end in Judea. You know, the bloodline of, of Zerah never actually came into Judea. It was only the bloodline of Pharaohs that came into Judah, Judahite territory. And the idea that I'm getting is that since Yahshua was the last potential king of Israel living in Judahland, that uh, that, that uh, dynasty would come to an end in Judah, in Palestine. But it still exists in Europe, where, of course, we know that the, all the kings and queens of Europe are descended from King David. And so that dynasty continues, but the one in Judah died off. Okay, that could be another interpretation. Back to you. Yes, okay, let's continue. And they came to Jerusalem. Yeshua, entering to the set-apart place, began to drive out those who bought and sold in the set-apart place and overturned the table of the money changers. Um, and oh. the seats of those selling doves. Okay, well, not- all right, so the one episode, uh, cursing the fig tree 
and overchanging the money tables <laughs> are one right after the other. There may be a connection here, Michael. Uh, could think? be, yeah. Yeah, all right. <laughs> okay. And he did not allow anyone to carry a vessel through the set-apart place. And he was teaching, saying to them, Has it not been written? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. And the scribes and the chief priest heard it, and they were seeking how to destroy him, for they feared him. Because all the crowd was astonished at his teachings. Yeah. And uh, when even came, he went out of the city. Uh, and in the morning, passing by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Then Kepha, uh, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. And Yeshua answered, said to them, Have belief in Elohim. For truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says shall be done, he shall have whatever he says. Because of this, I say to you, Whatever you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. All right. Okay, so whenever you pray for something, uh, anticipate that you will get rewarded, okay, with what you're asking for. That's good, good uh, instruction on how to pray. Very good. Yes. Okay, let's continue with the article. Okay, well, hold on. Uh, uh, Freebird in the chat room uh, brings up a very important point. Namely, that we, the world, has been cross-breeding since the beginning of time, which is high-breeding, but GMOs have only been around since the 1980s and put on the market since the 1990s, okay? Uh, the difference, though, between cross-breeding natural species like uh, Mendel, Father Mendel, uh, the priest in uh, Russia, did he did all that research on crossbreeding flowers and stuff? That's staying within the species, all right. That's crossbreeding, but GMOs are interspecies breeding. That's definitely uh, tampering with nature, right? GMO is a completely different animal. They hybridize between species, which is even. I can just. I remember one case study. I think it was. Either oranges, it may have been oranges. Yeah, I think it was oranges, where the GMO factory at Monsanto put a fish gene into the or the genome of oranges. Okay, they they had already done with away with seeds. They had already produced seedless oranges, but in order to make oranges more protective protected from freezing. They put a fish gene into the genome of the oranges so that they would be sturdier during cold weather. Well, it turns out that this fish gene causes all kinds of allergies in people eating those oranges, folks. This is what they're doing to us. They're not telling us what they're doing, but and nobody, the FDA obviously, has no interest in protecting us from GMO. All right, back to you, Michael. 
frog genes and tomatoes, right? <laughs> they put frog genes in tomatoes as well. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. By the way, frogs are forbidden fruit. <laughs> forbidden food. Okay, please continue. Yes, this is a miracle of Jesus, which has strong symbolism. Even though Jesus cursing of the fig tree is an action that may seem inconsistent with his actions. By the way, it was not even the fault of the fig tree because it was not the season for figs. See Mark 11.13. It is actually a parable based on symbols. The fig tree represents the city of Jerusalem, which does not respond to Jesus in kind. So it suffers divine punishment. Jesus uses the symbol of the fruitless fig tree to call the people who had disappointed God's um, expectations to um, conversion from sin. But not just that, he's condemning them. He's condemning the sinful ones. There are so many Judeos who don't believe that Jesus would actually destroy the evil people, right? That everybody, there's this false doctrine abroad in Judeo-Christianity that says uh, everybody's going to be saved. All sinners will be saved. They'll somehow miraculously be saved in the end times, including the Jews, right? No, there's nothing, there's no statement like that at all in Scripture. There's no universal salvation, in fact, the very, very few people will get saved. Very few. Only our remnant. Back to you. Yes. Uh, this is not this uh, love, uh, love, hipster. Love, love, love. Yeah, right. yeah, the hip, hippie Christianity. There you go. Yeah. Uh, in contrast, in Luke Gospel, which emphasized God's mercy, the lack of figs on the tree does not provoke the curse. He also spoke this parable, quote, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keepers of his vineyard, Look, for um, three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and uh, fertilize it. And if it bears fruit well, but if not, after that, you can cut it down, end okay. quote. Okay, well, he was he walked the earth for three and a half years, right? Okay, it's, it's a very literal reference to his ministry and the fact that there were so few Israelites of the house of Judah who would believe him his message. Again, a very, very small number, a remnant. So he's basically condemning the tree, which it's obvious to me as we're reading here, it's not just the Jews he's condemning here. He's condemning the faithless Judahites as well. Back to you. And that is because they don't have any fruits. That's right. Yeah, no religious fruit, no moral fruit, but also that the whole seed line was cut off the uh, the Pharaoh's seed line in Judea was cut off. They had no king. We had to go to Europe, uh, where Christianity was planted uh, later on. All right, back to you. Yes, and this was from Luke thirteen six until nine. Here again, Jesus tells us that spirituality can be cultivated, fertilized, and n nurtured. 
Unfaithfulness to the covenant is indicated by the image of the barren and withered fig trees. Amen. Very good. That was well put. Okay. Yes. Quote, they have rejected the word of the Lord. There are no more uh, grapes in the vineyard, nor fruit on the fig tree. Even the leaves have withered. Oh, boy. Quote. That's a prophecy about Israel. <laughs> All right. Look around us, folks. It's withered fig trees. Yeah, and that's from Jeremiah 8.13. Uh, okay. Uh, transcendence is achieved by keeping alive the relationship with God. And the fig represents a fruit of the spirit, which gives security and prosperity to the soul, as well as the body. In the first book of Kings, the prosperity of the people of Israel in the time of King Solomon is uh, narrated uh, through the symbols of the fig tree. Quote, uh, And Judah and Israel dwelt uh, safely, each man under his vine and his fig tree. Uh, from Dan as far as uh, Ber uh, Sheba, all the days of Solomon, end quote. That is from First Kings 4.25. And we frequently find the expression, quote, sitting under the fig tree, end quote, in the biblical texts. And that's then the representation for us that we sit under the fig tree is that we are, we can produce that fig tree ourselves and we can produce the fruits on the tree. So we sit under it, under yeah. our good deeds. Yeah, I'm sure there's places in America where you can grow fig trees. I don't think uh, fig trees are cultivated here. But yeah, uh, sitting on your fig tree is, you know, sitting in your grove, your natural health producing farm, right? Your garden. It symbolizes that. You know, we have to get back to that because the food in the grocery stores is so contaminated, it's very difficult to eat this food and stay healthy. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, in rabbinic traditions, this is not only a symbol of well-being and peace, uh, but the rabbi's favorable place to study uh, and read the Torah. The history of Israel is in the... Uh, Christingly linked to the symbols of the fig tree. In the New Testament, we can also see Jesus using the fig tree sim- um, symbolically. First, in uh, in the call of uh, Nathaniel, who was, quote, sitting under a fig tree, end quote, end quote, an Israelite indeed, end quote. That is from John 1, 47 until 50. Now that is, Later, a, that is a fruitful fig tree, okay? So there's fruitful fig trees and there's unfruitful fig trees, right? We yeah. know we know what the difference is. Back to you. Uh, later, he uses the fig tree as a metaphor for how we should recognize the signs of the times. Um, and that is from Matthew 24, 32. The system of uh, describing the end times using the analogy of the fig tree is taken up in Revelation 6, 13. Quote, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Okay, that's, that's the judgment day. Coming right up, folks. Better get ready. All right, please continue. A couple of paragraphs left. Thus, from Genesis to Revelation, the fig tree is strongly presented in scriptural symbolism 
as we have seen. There are many interesting references in the Song of Songs and the Parable of Jesus, but also in the Book of Judges. Um, even today, Israel is full of fig trees, huge, well-developed, shady, and full of fruit. They produce two harvests of fruit a year, an uh, uh, early harvest around the time of Passover in the spring, even before the leaves have uh, unfurled, while the bigger, better, and juicier fruits arrive uh, on their own in September, close to the Jewish festivals of Rosh Ha uh, Shana, Yom Kippur and Sukkot, Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and Feast of uh, Tabernacles, okay. res- respectively. All right. As you were reading this, Michael, I didn't even think of the Jews. I didn't even think of the country called Israel. I was thinking of us, right? As we probably, uh, because the Jews don't cultivate plants. They don't grow anything. They just let other people do the growing, but they, and they hire people to do the harvesting and they reap the profit. Okay. So there's no, there's no relationship here whatsoever to the Jews. It's talking about us, unless you're talking about the, the fig tree that was cursed. The Jews are the cursed fig tree, no doubt about it. And we should be living under our naturally growing fig trees, harvesting our fruit, and creating a paradise on earth, which we would be doing if the Jews weren't robbing us blind uh, every turn of our lives. Back to you. Yes. It is possible to con- uh, consider that the uh, blossoming of figs today in Israel is in itself a messianic sign. The people are waiting uh, for the return of Jesus. The restorations will be a spiritual awakening and all its people will um, greet their Messiah. Jesus saying, quote, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, end quote. Well, we know the Jews Jews aren't going to use the name of Yahweh, (laughs) so it can't apply to them. All right, so blessed are they who come in the name of Yahshua, right? And the Jews hate Yeshua. There's no way they're going to do that. All right, so let's get into the book. All right, so uh, I have it up on my screen from my hard drive. And uh, like I said, you can go to Amazon Kindle and type in The Great Impersonation by Eli James, and you can purchase a copy for 10 bucks. Cheap, folks, very cheap. All right, so let's get into Chapter 10, where... Uh, the, the subject matter is the Israel is lost, part three, the house of Judah. That's where the fig tree of the Old Testament comes into play. Over to you. Yeah, I'm look, there I have it, chapter 10. Israel is lost, part three, the house of Judah. Is that the correct one? Okay. That's okay, good. Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, so, quote... Yet the Lord would not destroy Judah for David's sake, as he promised him to give him always, uh, uh, always a light and to his children, end quote. 2 Kings 8, 19. Okay, everybody should realize, every identian and British Israelite needs to understand that the dynasty from David's loins is a physical, literal, flesh and blood dynasty of kings and queens. The Jews have never had any such thing. So, in order for this prophecy to hold true, 
the literal children of Israel and Judah have to be alive in the world today, and we are. Back to you. Yes, so, quote, So Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, took them and brought them to the king of Babylon, to uh, Rebelah. And the king of Babylon smote them and put them to death in Rebelah, in the land of uh, Hamath. Thus, Judah was carried away captive out of his own land. This is the people whom uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, oh, I pronounced the first one wrong, <laughs> carried away captive in the seventh year, 3,000 3, Judahites and three and a, uh, twenty. In the eighteenth year of uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he carried away captives from Jerusalem, 832 persons. In the three and twentieth year of Nebuchadnezzar's, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, carried away captive of the Judahites, 740 and five persons. All of the persons were 4,600, end quote. Okay. All right. Uh, Brother Abair puts in the chat room here from B.A. Hunter Bible Symbolism, fig tree equals symbolic of the house of Judah. All right, very good. Although King Zedekiah of Judah was specified as being a bad fig, we see the parable included of Judah, both good and bad. Those who pretend to be of the house of Judah and bring forth no fruit will be classified among the bad figs which are discarded. Note that it was to Jerusalem and Judah where Christ came and found no fruit on his tree since the people followed the traditions of the elders taught by the Edomite Pharisees. Very good. That kind of sums it up. <laughs> we can conclude today's study. All right, back to you. Okay, so this quote was from Jeremiah 52, 26 until 30. Very good. Um, the story of the house of Judah from the time of the escape of Zedekiah's daughter is the story of the Babylonian captivity and the subsequent return to Judea. The house of Judah is distinct from the house of David, even though David was of the tribe of Judah. The distinction stems from the fact that the house of David is the royal house, the specific family um, within the house of Judah that is to bear the Messiah. In order to understand the exploits of the house of Judah at this time in history, some knowledge of Babylonian religion and practices must be granted. Uh, in very simple terms, 4,600 monotheistic Judahites were translated to polytheistic Babylon for a period of 70 years, uh, as prophesied by Jeremiah. The leaders of the house of Judah were to reside within one of the most pagan and evil cultures ever known. Uh, Stephen Jones, in his book, The Babylonian Connection, tells us the following about Babylon at that time. Quote, in Babylon, it was unlawful for any man to marry a virgin. What? It was there. Forbidden to marry a virgin? <laughs> oh, that's kind of like what we have today. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. It was their religion for all the women of the land to be adulterous by biblical standards. Furthermore, the population of Babylonia was a mixture of um, Akkadians and the white race. Therefore, we can conclude that this sex religion forced not only an integration, but also interracial sexual relationships. Wow! Quote. Wow! 
Can you believe that statement? Yeah, but Stephen Jones, kind of the same, same today. Yes, yeah. Now th- this is Stephen Jones. I don't think it's the same Stephen Jones. Uh, I'm, t- I'm t- the guy in Minnesota who is a identity Christian. I think the, I don't think he wrote this book. This is another Stephen Jones. But for him to conclude that this in- f- uh, includes racial integration, very very few biblical scholars will go there. Now, this is a totally accurate statement. Back to you. Yes, spot on. Mm-hmm. The Israelites um, were being deported to a land whose customs were, in many respects, the exact opposite of their own. Uh, to appreciate exactly how different Babylonian religion was, a few more uh, descriptions will be uh, adduced. Herodotus has this to say, quote, The Babylonians have one most shameful custom. Every woman born in the country must once in her life go and sit down in the uh, uh, precinct of Venus and there consort with a stranger. Las Vegas, is, <laughs> right? The precinct of Las Vegas. Back to you. Here, there is always a great crowd, uh, some coming and others going, and the strangers pass along uh, them to make their choice. A woman who has once taken her seat is not allowed to return home till one of the strangers uh, throws a silver coin into her lap and take her with him um, beyond the holy ground. The woman goes with the first man who throws her money and rejects no one. End quote. And that is book one, page 264 onto 266. Okay, are we getting close to having that kind of society here in America and in the world? With all the degeneracy that's going on? Uh, liberalism? It's called liberalism, folks. Back to you. Yes. Prostitution was, as a matter of custom, an act which every female citizen had to undergo. The principal deity of the Babylonian was Baal, or Bel also known as Marduk. It is this deity to which the Maypole ceremonies are dedicated. The Maypole is, of course, a phallic symbol. Baal is the deity of whom all sex magic is dedicated and apparently no form of, uh, of deviate uh, sexual practice is too extreme to be forbidden. Sodomy and bestiality, homosexuality, prostitution, temple sex rituals, all were part of the Baal religion. May Day is still celebrated today among the world's pagans and anti-Christian groups, such as the communist, socialist, and various secret societies have chosen May Day as a special day of celebration because um, of its obvious anti-Christian significance. And wasn't it also, Eli, that 1st of May was, the, was um, the day when the Illuminati was formed? Yes, uh, May 1st, 1776, just a few months before the birth of America. Yeah, so it can also have to do with the Illuminati. Yeah, yeah. So May, June, July, so only two months before the birth of America. Yeah. Okay. And in contrast, in the Bible, God says to Israel, quote, there shall be uh, no war of the daughter of Israel, nor a sodomite of the sons of Israel, and quote. And that is Deuteronomy 23, 17. 
um, Haley's Bible Handbook under the heading of, quote, religion of the Canaanites, end quote, says, quote, Baal was their principal god, Astaroth, Astareth, Baal's wife, their principal goddess. She was the person of personification of the reproductive principle in nature. Ishtar was her Babylonian name, uh, Astaret, her Greek and Roman name, Baalim, the uh, plural of ba Baal, were images of Baal, um, Astaroth, the goddess, uh, pri uh, uh, priestesses were temple prostitutes. The worship of Baal, uh, Astareth, and other Canaanite gods consisted of the most extravagant uh, uh, orgies. Their temples were centers of vice, end quote. Okay, so it's not like uh, the Christian scholars don't know what Babylon is all about, right? And of course, Mystery Babylon today is the same way, bringing back the same degenerate practices from all the way down from practicing usury on a world scale to all these temple rituals of Baal. It's all happening again today, folks, as prophesied, and it's all going to come crashing down. It's going to burn. I just can't wait to see it, Michael. I want to see Babylon burn. All right. Let's continue. Yeah, if their economic system burn up. That would be a, such a relief. Um, uh, these temples were referred to as the high places concerning an um, excavation at, uh, excavation at uh, Geser. The same book tells us, quote, under the debris in this high place, uh, May uh, Callister found great numbers of jars containing the remains of children who had been sacrificed to Baal. The whole area proved to be a cemetery for newborn babies. End quote. Page 166. So, in addition to all manner of sex worship, Baal worship included abortion and infanticide. As part of its accepted features, passages in the Bible which refers to, quote, passing the firstborn through the fires of Molech, end quote, also refer to infanticide. It was the practice of Baal worshippers to throw the newly born firstborn child into a ceremonial fire and thus burn it alive. Uh, uh, thus, we sac were sacrificed made to appease the priesthood and also to receive blessings from the gods. All but right. that is not all. Hislop in his book, The Two Babylons, explains, quote, When the fruit of the body was thus offered, it was for the sin of the soul, and it was a princip principle of the Mosaic law, a principle no doubt derived from a, a patriarchal faith that the priest must partake of whatever was offered as a sin offering, uh, Numbers 28, 9 and 10. Hence, the priests of Nimrod or Baal were necessarily required to eat of the human sacrifices, and thus it has come to pass that Kalabal, um, um, uh, the priest of Baal, is the established word in our own tongue for a devour of human flesh. Okay, so, quote. all right, very good. This is a compound word here, Kana, C-A-H-N-A dash Baal, B-A-L. 
Kanabal, meaning priest of Baal. Of course, that word now today means cannibal, people who eat human flesh. Back to you. Yes. And that is that Cain did establish cannibalism. He is That's the one that right. Yeah, I forgot to mention it's a reference back to Cain as well. Yes. Yes, and this was on page 232. And cannibal is, of course, the word being referred to. Um, this is also a combination of the words Cain and Baal. Cain being the first Adamite to become a Baal worshiper. Okay. Uh, actually, uh, I should have not. Adamite is a bad uh, uh, <laughs> hybrid. <laughs> Cain being the first hybrid to become a Baal worshiper. Okay. Uh, I think this is an older version uh, that I have here. I need to update that. I need to make that correction. Back to you. Um, if Hislop is correct, then the Baal priesthood lifted part of the Judite ritual for animal sacrifice and incorporated this aspect with regard to human sacrifice as well. The Israelites, who were taken captive to Babylon in 506 BC, were entering into an entirely different world. Although numerous Israelite prophets and priests have previously condemned Israel and Judah for engaging in Baal customs, the Babylonian captivity was certain to test their own religions uh, very uh, greatly. From a 20th century uh, perspective, it would be like the Pennsylvanian Amish being relocated to New York City. (laughs) Christians should take note that all of the aforementioned barbaric Babylonian practices are being promoted again today. Prostitution, abortion, homosexuality, paganism. Babylon has indeed been reborn. The time period uh, we are dealing with in this chapter is roughly from 600 to 450 BC. There are 12 books of the Bible which fall into the historical period. Uh, These are Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Jeremiah, uh, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Obadiah, Haggai, um, Zechariah, and Malachi. In addition, the Captivity Oracles, um, chapter 466 uh, of the book of Isaiah, are believed to refer to this time because of their reference to King Cyrus, the Persian king who overthrew the Babylonian Empire. Lamentations is a um, uh, dirge on the woes of the Judahites, and generally speaking, the books of Obadiah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and the Captivity Oracles uh, are books of prophecy and morals. Regarding our pur- uh, purpose and tracing the lineage of the Israelites uh, versus the Jews, there is within those books almost no information. There are several books within the Jerusalem Bible which are not considered um, mechanical by Protestant denominations. However, these books, such as Judith, Baruch, and First and Second Maccabees, are indispensable for the historical information they provide. They are found usually in the Apocrypha and will be discussed at the end of this chapter. Unfortunately, little is given to us. Uh, within these books to help us trace the movements of the house of Judah. For the most part, these books deal with prophecies concerning Israel's future. Daniel and Ezekiel prophecy well into the future, both prophets speaking of the latter days before the second coming and or day of judgment. With some patient reconstruction, however, 
The historical record of the Judaic captivity and post-captivity periods can be traced within these 11 books, down to about 450 BC. Valuable clues emerged, which um, enable us to understand the mindset of the Judaites of this period. Um, Their racial um, Israelitish pride um, uh, remained with them uh, throughout this period, but the transplantation of the chosen people philosophy to an alien culture was to result in the adoption uh, of the same philosophy by the Baal worshippers. Okay, some, but not all. Not all the Judaites adopted it. Certainly Daniel didn't, all right? Exactly. Uh, One of the uh, compromises made by uh, Idumean Baal worshippers of this period was the eventual acceptance of Hebrew monotheism. This resulted in the appearance of a new religion altogether. This new religion combined certain elements of um, Hebrewism with elements of Baal worship. In it, in, in, in this, this religion, which subsequently became known as Judaism. That's right. Um, uh, its seed being um, a in the Babylonian Empire during the captivity of the Judites, Benjaminites, and Levites. The principal monarch, uh, monarch of Babylon at this time was Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, so commenting on this, because we've done a lot of research into this time period here at Eurofolk Radio, and it's pretty evident because David, Saul, Solomon, and other kings of Judah hired these Edomite scribes to keep records for them. They were held in tribute. They were not allowed to mix with the people of Israel, and they lived in their own towns. However, the mere fact that these Edomite scribes were allowed to become so familiar with Israelite history and teaching, it gave this is what gave them the idea, hey, we know more about their religion than the Judahites do. We should start pretending to be Israel. And that was the seed of that impersonation begun, thanks to the fact that we did not get rid of them in the first place like we were supposed to. Numbers 3355 comes to mind where Yahweh says, if you do not get rid of these people, exterminate them and drive them out of your territory altogether, they will become pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sides, as they are even today. Back to you. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay, let's continue. Of the 12 books mentioned above, only uh, two were written by captive prophets. These two are Ezekiel and Daniel. Ezekiel is not a history book, except for the first sentence of the book, which <laughs> tells us of his captivity in Babylon, Babylonia by the river of uh, Sheabar. It is given about the circumstance of the Judahites. Ezekiel is a prophet of the future. One of his uh, prophecies uh, concerning the impending doom of Jerusalem, this was to occur very soon. According to Haley's Bible handbook, Ezekiel was taken into captivity in 597 BC. He predicted Jerusalem's uh, destruction in 592 BC, and Jerusalem fell six years later in 586 BC. Ezekiel is full of prophecies, visions, and diatribes against Israel's unfaithfulness to her own religion, Lord and, and covenants. 
if nothing else, the book of Ezekiel proves that the tribes of Israel always had uh, priests and prophets um, commanding them to remain true to their faith, no matter what the circumstance. The crime of uh, seed mixing and idolatry were not to be excused, and Israel's ultimatum redemption is dependent upon their faithfulness, obedience to God's law and covenants. And Ezekiel's prophecies become more important with respect to Israel's future, as will be demonstrated later. The fact that the Anglo-Saxon fulfills these prophecies, not the Jews, make our case even stronger. The book of Daniel contains a little bit of history. Daniel was among the first group of Judahites captive, 604 BC. He was to play a role in Babylonian similar to that of Joseph in Egypt. He became advisor to King Nebuchadnezzar and dwelt in the, in the places. He inter, um, um, interpreted the disturbing dreams of Nebuchadnezzar. Several other events involving different Babylonian kings are mentioned, but most of these are also prophetic in nature. Like Ezekiel, Daniel exhibits and, um, exhibits and demands a faithfulness from the exiles as well as from all Israel. Chapter 1 records Daniel's um, refusal to eat forbidden food. Chapter 3 records the casting into the um, fiery fur, uh, furnace of uh, uh, Shadrach, uh, Mes- Meshach and uh, Ab- Abed Nego yeah, for refusing Abed- to worship Nebuchadnezzar as a god. Right, and that's what we should do. We should refuse to worship other gods, but our people have been, what's the word, tricked, seduced into worshiping other gods, and they don't even know it. Yeah, and today our their biggest god is the Television. <laughs> right, the dollar sign, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, it was not uncommon in those days for one group of people to adopt the customs and beliefs of another group. Usually, the vanquished people adopted the belief of the conquerors. But the doctrine of the um, chosenness must have had a great appeal to Babylonian's indigenous priesthood. And it must have um, aroused their jealousy when Nebuchadnezzar uh, twice proclaimed Daniel's uh, God superior to Baal. Chapter 2 and 3. Ooh! Cut to the heart of the Babylonian priesthood. Oh, yes. Uh huh. But this envy was uh, to bode ill for the human race for a long time to come because it led to the creation of the a theocratic and chauvinistic culture which became a source of the trouble to all people from the point on. Perhaps the most destructive element of their traditions is the Babylonian system of usury. It is well known that usury is forbidden by scriptural law, and that is from Nehemiah 5.7, Deuteronomy 23.19, etc. Yet, the Jews have been and are its most um, ardent uh, practitioner. See also Prophet of Deuteronomy 28, 43 and 44. The alien that is within you will lend to you, but you will not lend to him. Mm-hmm. That's happening yes. right now, folks. Yep. Uh, also, at the end of the um, 70 years captivity, uh, not all the Judites returned to Palestine. 
So it is uh, quite likely that some Judahites and or mixed descendants of Judahites joined with these Babylonian priests uh, to create what we know today as Judaism. In anticipation of this development, Jeremiah 24, in the parable of the good freaks and the bad freaks, has this to say, uh, quote, Thus said the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so will I acknowledge them that are carried away captives of Judah, whom I have sent out of this place into the land of Chaldeans for their good. For I will set mine eyes upon them for good, and I will bring them again to this land, and I will build them and not pull them down, and I will plant them and not pluck them up. And I will give them an heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. Okay. Quote. All right. Now, this prophecy is extremely important because, number one, it tells us that Yahweh is removing our ancestors of Judah into Babylon for their own good. For a good reason, okay? Number one, it's to admonish them and and punish them for all the evil they had done. And it uh, demonstrates humility on on their part because, all right, they're accepting and we have to be punished. Let's go to Babylon, accept our punishment, etc. These, therefore, ladies and gentlemen, are the good figs. They're the good figs. They are Judahites. But so are the bad figs. Let's continue. They're also Judahites. Yeah. And it's also interesting said, and I will give them a heart to know me. So those bad figs that then may both transverse up to Europe, they don't have the heart to know him either. Right. Yeah. And the proof of that is the kings and queens of Europe have been up to no good for centuries. Right. Rarely have we had a good king. You had one good king in Sweden. And we had almost king named George Washington. <laughs> he refused to be king. So, yeah, it's yeah. been a, a mixed bag and mo- for the most part, not, not a good one. Our, no, our Israelite exactly. leaders. Yeah. Okay. Um, in addition to the possibility of the Babylonian priesthood adopting a chosen people philosophy, there is another group of people that served as the uh, breeding ground for Judaism. Author A. Uh, Peshkovsky in his booklet. Israel and Judah points out uh, the remnant which was left in Palestine and not carried away had begun intermarrying with local Canaanites. Ooh. Bad he speaks of two groups of bad figs. Quote, one portion had intermarried with the heathen round about them and had accepted the heathen worship prior to Babylonian captivity. In the light of all of the warnings from Jeremiah, they refused to listen and uh, told Jeremiah that they would worship the Queen of Heaven instead of God. They fled to Egypt and were destroyed by the Lord. And quote, and that is see Jeremiah forty four seventeen on to nineteen. And this reference they're doing worshiping Queen of the Heaven must be a reference to Eve. Well, yeah, that too, but uh, mainly Semiramis, the wife of Nimrod. But of course. Uh, she's a, uh, a representation of Eve as well. Okay, yeah. The other portion either uh, remained in the Middle East and returned 
uh, to Judea or were scattered before the time of Christ. The book of Ezra and Nehemiah are our best source for what happened in Palestine immediately following the captivity. Quote, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, uh, he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, saying, He hath um, charged me to build him an house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. End quote. Ezra 1, uh, 1 and 2. So, Cyrus... Cyrus was a Persian, which means he was a descendant of Shem. He was a Shemite. And that's the reason why uh, Cyrus accepted Yahweh. Okay, he was a good king. Back to you. Yes. Thus ended the 70-year captivity in Babylon and began the period of reconstruction in the land of Judah. Note the phrase, in Judah, showing use of the word Judah, um, connotating a country rather than a tribe. Um, connotating now with, uh, continuing now with uh, uh, Paschkovskis. Quote, Another port of Judah, which remained in Palestine after deportation to Babylon, had intermarried with all the heathen who moved into Palestine. Of these people, history records the following. The Edomites, the uh, Amorites, the <laughs> Uh, Ashurites and the uh, Samaritans intermarried with the older uh, Judahite populations. Correct. A yes. rescue <laughs> of which had remained in the country in spite of all that had happened. Uh, these half-breed pagan people gave a friendly reception, nay, a reception to the Re returning exile from Babylon. Reception, reception, the friendly reception. Yeah. However, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah rejected their appeals to join them because uh, they knew that they were not pure-blooded Judahites. And the b books of Ezra and Nehemiah clearly say that th these people were not accepted into the company of the returning house of Judah, thus proving that these Judahites were true to their God, their religion, and their race, contrary to uh, statements made by many other uh, people who s say that the returning Judahites were a mixed-breed people. They were not. The people who mm -hmm. were still there, those were the mixed-breed people. Back to you. Yes. Uh, technically, uh, the older Jewish population was still Judahites, ben Benjaminites, and Levites. But due to their intermarriage with non-Israelites, they were becoming mixed-breed. Um, previous uh, to this time, there was no serious intermingling of Hebrewism and other re religions. Burton L. Comparet, in his booklet entitled Your Heritage, give us an interesting perspective on this subject. Quote, Jesus constantly rebuked the Jews for their uh, apostasy, for setting aside the laws of God in favor of the tradition of the elders. This Talmudic Judaism was very different from the religion which we find in the Old Testament. The late Rabbi Stephen S. Weiss chief rabbi of the United States, expressed it so clearly that I cannot improve upon his words. He said, quote, The return from Babylon and the adoption of the Babylonian Talmud marks the end of the Hebrewism and the beginning of Judaism. End quote. Wow, quite an admission from Rabbi Wise, isn't it? Yeah. Making a distinction between Hebrewism, actually the religion of the Israelites, versus Judaism. Yeah. Quite an admission. Back to you. 
Quote, since the true religion of the Old Testament was the religion of the real Hebrews, not the Jews, the learned rabbi was quite right in calling it Hebrewism and not uh, noting that it came um, to its end when the Talmud then called the traditions of the elders were adopted and that this was the beginning of, the, of a new religion, Judaism or Babylonianism. And this was on page 41 and 42. Uh, Psalms 50, 16 and 17 offered interesting foresight into development. Quote, but unto the wicked God said, uh, what has thou uh, to do to declare my statutes or that thou should take my covenant in thy mouth? Seeing thou uh, had this instructions and uh, castest my words behind thee. Okay. Quote. Now, a very interesting quote is Psalms 50, 50 addressed to Edomites, but unto the wicked, God saith, and this could be also Judaites because there are wicked Judaites, what hast thou to do to declare my statutes or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth if you disobey it, seeing thou hatest instruction and castest my words behind thee, unquote. Yeah, so who are you to declare his statutes when you don't keep them, you hypocrites? Mm-hmm. So, um, it is further uh, admitted by Jewish scholars that Jews constitute a mixed breed. Ah. Pastor Dan Gayman, in his booklet entitled, uh, quote, The Two Seeds of Genesis 3.15, and quote, states, quote, Isaiah 34.5 describes, describes a portion of the Esau-Edomite line and calls them Idumea, uh, the people of my curse. Herod was an Edomite, and you know that he ordered male children of the seed of promise of the women's seed destroyed. The Herodians were Idumeans, and Idumeans were Edomites. The Jewish Encyclopedia, 1925, Volume 5, page 41 states, Edom is in modern Jewry. This is also um, corroborated with the uh, biblical, uh, biblical Encyclopedia, Volume 2, uh, called 1187, and quote, and that is page 17. It must be realized that this Edomite connection ap applies mainly to the Sephardic use of the Middle East and not necessarily to the Ashkenazi use of southern Russia. David Shilton, uh, in an article entitled, quote, The Beast and the False Prophet, Revelation 13, and, quote, echoes Gaiman's comments, quote, It is important to remember that Judaism is not Old Testament religion, but rather a rejection of the biblical faith altogether in favor of the pharisaical um, Talmudic heresy. Like many modern cults, uh, it claims to be based on the Bible, but is actually um, authority comes from the traditions of men. Uh, Jesus was quite clear. Judas denies Christ because it denies Moses. Whoa! Uh, Whoa! Would you repeat that, yeah. please? <laughs> Judas denies Christ because it denies Moses. Amen. Okay, very good. Uh, you don't need to recite all those quotations, uh, but uh, in the document... Uh, uh, Matthew 5, 17 through 20, and many more. And this is from the June 1985 issue of the Foundation Commentator, which is a Judeo-Christian uh, magazine, but nevertheless, uh, 
issuing very honest and straightforward opinions about the Jews. Okay. Now, Michael, we only have about two minutes left. So maybe we should pause right here uh, before we get into Howard B. Rand. I don't think we have time to discuss this. So, so let's call this part one of our study on the good figs and the bad figs. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll pick this up not next week or the following. We'll have to wait uh, three weekends before we can pick this up again because I will not be around uh, the next two weekends. Okay? Okay. All right, Michael, you can go deer hunting if you want. <laughs> or yeah, fishing. Yeah, the season is not really on. So I wait for the season. Then, of course, I will do, do deer hunting and moose hunting. Yeah. In the meantime, get a boat and start fishing because the food shortages are coming. All right. That's yes, yes. And that goes for everybody listening, folks. You know they're trying to starve us to death. So stock up on your sea rations, your canned tuna, canned beans, and dry goods such as white rice. Don't use brown rice because brown rice uh, will uh, spoil way before white rice. And even, I have to, sorry to say, white sugar because you're going to need calories when the food is getting rare. So put that in your storage containers and get ready for they're going to try to starve us out. Thank you, Michael. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. Everybody, see you again. Bye-bye. Yeah, bless you all. Goodbye. Yeah, bye-bye. Yeah, we bless. Be it.